Welcome to the VoxGig Developer Relations Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Roger. I speak to people in the software development community about developer relations, public speaking, and community events. I'm the CEO of VoxGig, a software consultancy that builds DevRel tools. Because we believe in the power of community, we host a monthly virtual online meetup for everyone in developer relations. Check out devrelmeetup.com. And visit voxgig.com to view our work, use our tools, and sign up for our newsletter. Okay. Please sit back and enjoy my fireside chat with today's guest. I'm talking one of my favorite topics today, microservices. And I'm speaking to Jose Jaro Peralta about microservice APIs. Well, this is a classic case of internal developer relations, because if you're going to have lots of microservices, you got to know how to use them. This interview touches on a big trend that we're seeing, which is that internal developer relations is becoming just as important as external developer relations. All right, let's talk to Jose. Jose, welcome. Welcome to the Fireside with VoxGig podcast. And uh, we are going to talk about APIs and microservices and all that sort of fun stuff, my favorite topics. Uh, how are you today? I'm very good, thank you. Very excited to be here, Richard. Very excited to be talking with you. Awesome. Okay, well, let's start with... Uh, who are you and what sort of things do you get up to? Sure. So my name is Jose. I'm a I'm an independent consultant based in based in London. Um, I work with organizations of all kinds and shapes, from small, very small startups, very small uh, companies, sometimes helping them to build the the tech system from scratch, even helping them on the journey to raise uh, investment and such, to very big corporations like AIG or IKEA. And usually what I do is I, I get involved in projects that uh, involve building uh, distributed systems, microservices. There is a lot of API work involved, and um, and I and I, I like to look at all the stuff they're doing, right? And what I can improve processes and operations and things like that. I have a background also as a DevOps engineer, so I like to look at automation and architecture and, and how we're doing things also from a security perspective. Awesome. And so you're based in London. And do you find, I mean, I, I know before COVID, because uh, I did a little bit of myself, that type of work, you always had to go into the office, right? And go to the meeting rooms and all that sort of stuff. Has that work, has that side of work changed now? Is it all remote? Do you still have to go into offices occasionally? I don't go uh, anymore to offices. Yeah. Um, I have my own office, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I don't have to commute um, only uh, only just occasionally to have a meeting on site yeah, with yeah. the client. Um, you're a consultant, yeah, you got to do some of those things. Um, but no, actually, since since the lockdown, I've been remote the whole time. Awesome, and, yeah, and, and very thankful for that. Actually, it yeah, really has, yeah. has a huge impact on productivity and 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 the yes. quality of work. Yeah, uh, you can just you can you can do an extra ten microservices in a day instead of showing on the <laughs> yeah, maybe, it's maybe, brilliant. Maybe, yeah, question whether you should, but yeah. <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Um, so I uh, yeah, I remember years ago uh, when I first got into microservices, doing a talk where I was recommending nano services, and I think I stood up in public and I said, "You no microservice should be more than a hundred lines of code." <laughs> <laughs> well, we we had that thread, right? We we've yeah. gone. <laughs> We've gone almost full circle from recommending people to do very small services of just a few lines of code to now advocating for monoliths again. Yeah. So I guess I guess we are kind of learning from some of the, in a way, we are learning from some of the bad things we've done in the past. But at the same time, it feels like sometimes we're taking the wrong takes on on these topics. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes we've done things wrong with microservices. Doesn't mean microservices are bad. 
exactly which, exactly we, it, there's i mean they're so new there's such a lot of learning still right yeah um, always. Jose, so I, I i one of the reasons i wanted to talk to you was um we've sort of ended up doing a bit of a series on with some recent guests on internal developer relations mm-hmm. and the subjects that you write about right this the the subject of your book the micro apis i thought was particularly relevant because uh if you take care to define the APIs of your microservices properly, the consumers of those APIs are your colleagues internally in the company. Uh, and uh, I was just giving you an example before we started recording of a, a client of mine yesterday. It just emerged that, oh, it turns out we're part of a whole set of parallel projects that are attacking the same problem and we need to somehow coordinate with all these people. So I find myself, this is a really useful one. <laughs> really useful interview for me. But I find myself in exactly that situation today, right, where we need to start thinking about, okay, how do we define APIs, all that sort of stuff. Um, 100%, yeah. And it always takes me back to, uh, you know, I don't know, you, you've probably seen that famous memo from that guy, Steve Yeagy, and the Bezos directive mm-hmm. about how everybody, you know, every service needs to have an API and all that sort of stuff. And here we are again. Yeah, <laughs> square one. Right? Indeed, yes. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, if you go into an organization, let's let's just take it, not 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 one of your actual clients, but just a conceptual. Let's say let's say you're going into a new large corporate tomorrow, and they've realized that they've made a mess of their microservices. Um, where do you start? What do you do with the APIs? How do you how do you get from uh, an organic mess, a, a distributed monolith, let's say? Mm-hmm. to microservice APIs or micro APIs that you are happy with. Right. So the like solving a I guess solving a whole microservices mess is a is a is a very big topic, but we have we've got to start somewhere. And yeah. from the API uh, perspective, right? I, I think we can put an API perspective, for example. Yeah. So like one of I think the first thing actually I, 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 would, I would be very interested in doing uh, with that organization if they have that kind of mess in terms of APIs is look do, making some effort to map the whole attack surface of the APIs because it happens when we are building APIs and microservices organically that means without a lot often without without a lot of planning and even if, even if we have planning we are often not able to track uh, um, accurately everything we are doing. And that means we can we may end up with exposed endpoints and and functionality that is not very well protected or is exposing too much data. And so I think the first thing we 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 would gain a lot of benefit from doing is mapping that attack surface. Um, yeah, I wanted to say something. Yes, and I forgot. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I mean the 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 I the security aspect of it has always been interesting for me as well. Um because sometimes I take the easy way out of a say of assuming oh it's just a closed network. I don't need to worry about it. Other times yeah. I've built systems where you have um you know you have separate kind of permission servers. <laughs> um Many, many times I have cried into my tea or coffee over cores configuration and you know, at the end, <laughs> uh Taking the cowardly route of just putting in a star and going, oh well, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, wh- where does security come into this thing? Right. Well, so the because uh, the problem is like the, the reason I'm emphasizing this um, attack surface thing is like 
we've got to know how the our interfaces work. Like those, because we're mentioning internal services, right? We always say this thing in, in, in the API world, like don't think of, even if, if it is an internal API, don't think of it as an internal API. There's no such a thing as an internal API. Sometimes it's just a configuration thing that the API ends up exposed in the to the world. Apparently that's what happened. I don't know if you're familiar with a data breach happened in Australia with, I think it's Optus, um, a major yeah, yeah. telecommunications. Yep. Um, apparently it was just a, it was a simple, uh, it was a, it was a, a, a simple misconfiguration issue. That's what they say. Um, an internal API got exposed in a test network with internet exposure. That's, that's the, that's what they say. And, and it wasn't protected and it was exposing all kinds of personal details about the users. And, and so don't think of an API as, as internal. Give all, all of it, of, all of your APIs equal love and, and dedication to make sure they are well designed and robust and secure. And so the, what I want to emphasize with the tax surface is we want to have a, an accurate description of the APIs. Something, I, something that happens to me, I go around uh, looking for public APIs, and it's very interesting to me, especially in, in, in sensitive sectors like fintech, how few of those APIs are accurately documented with an, open, with an API specification, usually REST APIs, so open API, but how few of them have an, an, a, a, mm. an, a specification. That means... You know, APIs, those are APIs meant, meant for public consumption. You know, they, they are meant to be there for us to integrate with. If those APIs, if you're not providing that documentation to the, to the developers, most likely it means you don't have it. You don't know how your APIs work. There are two consequences here. You can't test those APIs for design vulnerabilities. <laughs> yeah. Meaning, who knows, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and that means there, there are lots of, patterns in those designs that may go unnoticed and can be exploited, for example, for mass assignment, broken object, lo uh, op op sorry, broken object level authorization, many different kinds of attacks that can come out of these, many vulnerabilities. But also, if you don't have that specification in place, you can't test the implementation according to it. I mean, we all, we can talk as much as we want about test-driven development and everything, but testing an API is a much tougher job of testing all the possible combinations of payloads, data properties, types, and so on that can go into that interface. So we usually use something like fuzzy testers or automation tools that look at the specification and yeah. they figure out how to validate the implementation. If you don't have that uh, specification in place, you can't use these strategies. So for me, it's, it's the, fund the, the most fundamental tenet of, of robust and secure APIs have an API specification in place. So, okay, let, let's just, I'm just trying to unpack this. So first of all, are you saying that um, every microservice that has an API should assume that it's going to be publicly ex exposed? Yeah. And then um, they all need proper formal specifications, right? Whether that's Swagger or OpenAPI or whatever it is. Exactly. Or if uh, it is a GraphQL or GFPC, you just need to have uh, that formal spec. But don't you have, I mean, don't you run into an issue in, in organizations that you deal with? Because I certainly do, right? Where um, even if you recommend that, <laughs> who writes the specification? Right? Yeah, 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 actually, you know, and because it's it the, the the challenge often with internal developer relations is that um, when things are very project based, documentation becomes a one off, and it's like, oh, the documentation one and done, and that's it, and then three years later, it's totally out of date. And there's no um, there's no process, right? For external developer relations, uh, especially if they're run 
within marketing departments, there tends to be an understanding of things like a content calendar and the fact that you have to have a continuous process and go over your documentation and do updates and all that sort of stuff. Whereas with a lot of internal things, it's somebody write, might write a bad readme, but that's it. <laughs> and it's done forever. One solution to that that I've, I've been trying to encourage my clients with is uh, SDKs, right? So the, this is the position that, um, yes, okay, you've got an actual, you've got an API, fine, and you've got a Swagger documentation, and that is the primary access point. But actually, you should provide an SDK. Uh, and that sort of naturally enforces an update cycle because the the person who wrote the API is, is also responsible for the SDK and they they have to generate yeah update so, the so, SDK yeah. on a regular basis. So I don't know how you feel about that, right? Does that mean every every microservice gets its own SDK? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I guess it depends on the use cases. So those are SDKs. Um... I assume that, uh, generated from the API documentation, or or, or in some well, other. Well, it way. could be it could be both, right? So, yeah, I mean, it, certainly you can generate. Okay, mm -hmm. and that's that's definitely one path to go down. Those are very thin SDKs, but at least they solve the problem, don't they, of maintaining up to dateness because they they stop working if you don't regenerate yeah. them. <laughs> and to generate them, you need good documentation. So it's kind of a a, a virtuous circle, right? Yeah. Um, I suppose the customized SDKs are more for uh, collections of services or full applications. Um, <laughs> yes, I don't know. What do you think of that? Right? Maybe, maybe it should be a best practice that you yeah, I guess, generate SDKs for your microservices. Yeah, I guess what we what we uh, kind of recommend always in front in the API world is to to go from the from the API documentation uh, side. So you have an accurate an accurate API specification. And you can use tools to generate very good um, SDKs from it. Um, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense to me. And back to your question, uh, even internal microservices um, should be accurately described and protected. I think they should. A lot of the time, those micro we built those microservices to be consumed by our, our own, for example, mobile or browser applications. And they are meant to be used just in that way, not really for someone to integrate with that directly. But it, it is still some, something that is exposed to the world. And, and it means someone looking at the traffic can look at the endpoints, can look at the access tokens. You know what is interesting? A lot of the attacks, I think, I think it was Salt Security found that around 70 or 80% of the API attacks that we have uh, recently are actually done by authenticated users. So this is not someone looking at the Yeah, of course they are. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. getting a key so, is not that hard, right? Yeah, so exactly. So someone registers, they are a legitimate user, they well, in a way, but they, they are authenticated. They have a token and they can leverage this to to you know to, to get within your system. And and so that means authentication is not enough to protect our services. We need to have robust authorization access controls, but we need to have also constraints on user input. Like one, one example of this, for example, you have a payment service, and I saw an API um, a, a few months ago that had this problem. So we have a, a payment service, and we have an endpoint to make payments. Uh, won't disclose the API, but it, it's, it's a public API. 
And the pro one big vulnerability they have here is the same data model that you use to represent a payment, including the status of the payment, um, whether it's been approved, processed or not, and many of the internal details of the payments. So that data model is the same model that we use to create the payment. Of course, the, there's an understanding, I guess, that when you create the payments, you're only going to send a payload, including payloads that should be used uh, on the writing process, right? On the, on the post request or the put request. No, yeah. You're not going to overwrite those server-side properties. But then it all depends on the implementation, how you're handling those things um, you know, in, in the actual code, meaning, meaning you're leaving it to the developer to be very smart and dedicated and committed to, to filter out certain properties, which is not part of the documentation. You know, there's an implicit understanding here of how we have to process that data. That means if the team changes, the understanding changes, there's, a, there's an implicit knowledge here that can go away at some point, then you end up in a situation of mass assignment here. You can set, for example, you can create a payment, set it to paid already, and exploit whatever consequences come out of it. So I think there's some of it's um it may sound like we have to do a lot more work, but it's just what it is. We can't uh, we can't skip yeah. security. Yeah, I, I'm interested in in how this affects uh one of the um strategies that I've been using recently, right? So this go, this kind of goes to uh another of the great debates, right? Monolith versus microservices. Yeah. Um so what we found in in our work was that uh Ultimately, it's much easier to develop a monolith locally on your dev machine, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then a lot of deployments these days are to things like servers, mm -hmm. um, which splits everything up again. So we ended up in this situation where we, um, although the, this, the system is microservice-based, <laughs> we actually load up all the services into a single process. Mm -hmm. And then inside the process, use the interfaces of the, mm -hmm. the microservices. Mm -hmm. um, and that sort of negates the whole debate because, well, you know, it's just a configuration there. Mm -hmm. um, but how does that affect security, right? Because you, as a developer, you sort of immediately assume that, well, if it's inside my process, it's got to be safe, right? But <laughs> um, that's not really true, is it? That, anyway, no, I, uh, not really, because these are, these are web services at the end of the day, right? It, in terms yeah. of an API, it doesn't matter if it is part of a monolith or a microservice. It doesn't matter if it is if that payment is going to happen as a consequence of an API, an internal API call or a method call. You you still have a way to get to that functionality, and and so the question is, how do you protect and you harden that entry point to the system that is going to access that functionality, regardless of whether where, of where it, it comes from? I mean, the big the big thing that's coming out of out of this discussion for me is documentation or good documentation and good specification. Well, good specification is a precursor to good documentation. Yeah. But also it's kind of like a tree. It's also a precursor to good security because as you said, right, at the start, you can't actually define or understand your uh, risk profile unless you define what the API is supposed to yeah. actually do. <laughs> exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so sorry, I'm I'm on a, I'm, I'm I'm because developer relations is so undervalued in so many organizations. I'm just going to say, well, if you value security, you value developer relations because Absolutely. they're exactly, the same yeah. thing. Right? Yeah, like in a way, 
I, I think it's actually true. I never thought of it that way, but the uh, the way you're putting it, good API documentation is a way of doing good internal developer relations because developer relations at the end of the day is about that, right? You're kind of advocating for um, for something, for some technology. Internally, you're advocating for your internal tools. And a lot of platform engineering goes along those lines as well, right? And And we always have this idea that good platform engineering is not about creating the tools and pushing those tools down the throats of your users. It's about, you know, creating tools that they actually need and they will want to use. And, and part of making them excited about using those tools is having good, good documentation. So having the good APIs with good documentation is going to make the process a lot. Uh, you know, we have this yeah. concept of uh, time to fast API call. Good documentation is crucial for that if you don't know how the API works. So Jose, would, would you say, I mean, let's go back to the scenario where you're going into an organization. Okay. I mean, there's existing services, right? But there's always new ones as well. Mm -hmm. uh, would, I mean, do you recommend that some people do this? They recommend an API first approach where you don't start with implementation. What you, what you, what you define first is the API. Yeah. So I would, that's what I want, that's, that's what I'm going to recommend. But it's a cultural okay. change actually, right? In the way we work. Big. Yeah. At the end of the day, API first and, and shifting left security means that the API and the way I approach APIs is the API and, and the security of the API is everybody's job. That means it's also the job of the product manager. Nobody can escape security or, or, or API design here because the API is defining the, the way you interact with the system. It, it codifies the user flows, the way the user is going to send data, what data they're going to get out of it, how easy it is to use the API, what's the user experience out of it. I suppose this is interesting for the product manager. If they're not interested in that, I don't think they're yeah. very good product managers. <laughs> no, in, in a way, right? Because yeah. um, that's what we are doing. We're building a product here that, that should be very good to use, very, very exciting for our users. And the, the API design is a crucial component of that. And so everything starts there. We have to have those discussions about what we're going to do, how we're going to do it, and then document that. And the best way to document it, there are many different ways, but the best way really with a, with a formal specification, we're going to be able to make so much with that. Yeah. And even in that process, before we even get started with the code, we can already start thinking about security. We can run security tests against, against that design to see if it is good enough. We can think about the flows. Uh, uh, have you looked at the most recent OWASP list of vulnerabilities for APIs, the 2023 one? No, I must, yeah, that's... So there is that's one reasons. new vulnerability, very interesting. It says, uh, it's the name, the title is something like access to sensitive business flows. And so what it means is, like, did you try to buy, um, have you tried to buy a ticket recently for a concert or an event or... Yeah, um, yeah. Have you seen this experience that people often have when their tickets run out and they have to buy from a reseller? It happened with the PlayStation 5 in e on e-commerce platforms. It, hap it happens with the driving license, right? In the, in the UK, you want to get the driving test. It, it's all booked out and you have yeah. to buy from, from a reseller. So that vulnerability captures this problem. Is the way we design those user flows in a way that they can be exploited by malicious actors to manipulate our business model. It happens also, for example, if we have a referral program to give bonus points or discounts to users who enroll new users on the platform, this can be leveraged by enrolling, for example, fake users. 
So it's a, it, it has a, a huge impact on our business model, the way we operate, the way we engage with our users. So we want to have engagement from, from the stakeholders at this stage to design the right flows. Yeah, yeah. And it, I suppose you end up with a scenario where you have kind of built-in vulnerabilities that you can't yeah you're, you're kind of stuck with um <laughs> yeah I mean, what, what, what else what else strikes me is, is so funny is the way that like credit card payments and processing <laughs> has fundamental built-in vulnerabilities the whole system only works because there's <laughs> legal mechanisms to undo bad right, operations yeah. right uh, yeah always kind of crazy yeah. another topic i wanted to ask you about uh because you have written a book on python and microservices yes um and a very good choice of technology given uh the fact that python is the number one language for machine learning um yeah, very good this time, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure you've been doing a whole bunch of machine learning based projects mm -hmm. uh using the microservices architecture and all, and all that sort of stuff i'd be interested in your thoughts on that specifically mm -hmm. but also um i suppose the meta question is what can machine learning do for us right in in this space because at the moment um, yeah, you can use Copilot or ChatGPT or whatever to generate sort of micro solutions to things, bits mm -hmm. of code. Although I read recently somebody did a study, only 1.7% of initial ChatGPT uh, code suggestions are correct. Yeah. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, that's that sounds about right. Um, uh, I, I mean, I've, I've in particular, like I've used it to um, help with generating Swagger Docs, um, <laughs> but uh the hallucinations are kind of funny yes. because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i needed i needed a particular type of uh i need i needed to restrict the api in a certain way and it just invented configuration properties that did yeah. the thing i wanted <laughs> yeah, yeah. real ones they just it just created ones that would it would be so great if they did exist <laughs> it would be so useful <laughs> yeah no i'm not uh, surprised uh, i've done the same experiment yeah and what happened to me was the the longer the specification gets like the first parts of the definition, maybe it, it's quite all right, but the sooner, the, the further it gets from the the starting point, the crazier it gets. Yeah. And so I started to put like payloads on the headers and responses in parameters. <laughs> yeah, some <laughs> crazy things like that. But on, but yet this this I mean this machinery stuff is is powerful and useful. Um, but how do we? Yeah. So, I mean, how does it help us with um, API, working with APIs? I mean, do you have any, do you have any thoughts about, I, I'm not talking about building the systems themselves now, but where, mm -hmm. what do we do with this tool? Um, so the, the, there's a lot of work actually on, on this area. Um, there is a company, I, I can't remember the name of the company, sadly, but um, there is a company that is, working with LLMs to consume API specifications so that you don't have to read those specifications. You don't have to even look at the swagger or anything. In a way, the LLM consumes the specification, understands the API, and you just ask the, the LLM, okay, how do I do this operation? And it kind of writes the tutorial for you. It produces the code. And there was an idea here when when the uh, when the uh, the founder of this company was doing the uh, a talk 
an idea even we may even get to a point in which this framework this technology has an, an understanding of all kinds of different APIs and you just want to do an operation you don't have to integrate with the API the framework does it for you because it knows how the API works you just give it a key and it will talk to the right API to do the right thing yeah yeah so so they, I, but I think that maybe is a little bit um very um very abstract um, dream or something, but there is a there is a good point of saying okay, LLMs can be very helpful if 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 they can change at some point because the problem is with the amount of, of tokens they allow you to to send right specifications get very big, so they in many cases they can't accept the whole thing. But if they get to a point where you can send the the whole specification, and then companies can have this as a as a service right, you put your API spec, you have a, a chat. You ask questions about the spec, how you interact with the API. That would be helpful. Yeah, yeah. So that's <clears throat> that's a really good point because a, a frustration I have. Modern software development involves so much integration. Uh, yeah. The project we worked on, I think, had seventeen different third-party APIs that we had to integrate with. Yeah, and so ima uh, imagine going to a large fintech API, and you don't have to go through the whole spec. You don't have to go to a tutorial or anything. You have a chatbot, uh, a chatbot, and you ask. How do I make this a specific type of payment? How, what's exactly, the... exactly, yeah. exactly. But I, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, that you know, fine for that's great for external APIs. But in large organizations with hundreds of developers working on massive systems, I mean, that'd be useful internally as well, right? Where as it's well, just like, yeah. You know, just show me how this works. Yeah. Um, Even yeah, if you're able to put those APIs as as as, as vectors of, of an LLM. You know, you put all that data there. You may even ask, you, you know, one of the most recurring problems, we duplicate services, we duplicate inputs in the large organizations, right? So you may just be able to do, do we have existing functionality for these? And it will give you the right endpoints, the right services. Yeah. That would be wonderful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> these days, you know, whenever I have to build a new system and there's new APIs, I just go, oh, not, not another API. <laughs> no. It's painful, right? Um, uh, there's, a, there's more use. Uh, there's probably, I, I don't know if there is something already done along these lines, but now we have this ability to create GPT applications, right? So uh, you, you ingest some additional data into, into GPT and you, and you can create one of these applications. The one uh, very interesting one that has come out recently is Stripe GPT. So, uh, do you do you know the Stripe framework framework for threat modeling? No, no. Okay. Right. So, so for um, so when we're doing threat modeling, we have um, to model the threats. We have various frameworks like Octave, um, Stripe, and some others. And Stripe is one of the most popular. It comes from the '90s. It was uh, done at Microsoft. And so the okay. it's a, it's an abbreviation. I couldn't tell you what they stand for. All of them, but it's just a very useful framework for threat modeling. And so that someone created a GPT application for a stride. You can give it the uh, requirements of your application, and it will do threat modeling for it. Ah, okay, okay. And so that that's useful. But maybe someone can create also um, a GPT application for domain-driven design, and we can apply this maybe to APIs. And so maybe we can have the conversations with the business, bring some requirements into this GPT application, and it can propose an API design based on that. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I, I mean, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? In the next year or so, we're going to, I mean, people are going to build these things, right? For sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. It's going yeah. to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting. I think the fact that we haven't seen them yet means that uh, it's a little bit harder to do than it sounds, right? Yeah, uh, uh, probably. Especially with the context windows and all those yeah. types of and the more abstract it gets, like something like a strike is a, is a very established process for threat modeling. So no wonder we already have one. But something like domain-driven design is super complex. And how it applies to a specific uh, domain problem is, is very complex, right? That's also the reason why we often get it wrong. So it, it, brought, it may take a while, but yeah. if, something, if it comes one day, that, that's going to be very helpful if we can constrain the hallucinations and all those problems. Yeah, it feels like we'll end up in a world where if you're building APIs without LLM support in some format, right? Maybe it's even just generating fuzzy tests. Uh, it's probably not, you're, you're not fully implementing a best practice, right? Because uh, why not use the tool if the tool is available? Yeah, um, no, I guess what it's going to do may, maybe is that it's more like elevating, uh, kind of democratizing um, API efforts in a way that you can't, there are so many companies that are kind of lost in this process, really, and they don't have the right processes and the right tools and the right documentation. And so it's probably just going to have those companies that otherwise maybe couldn't get this additional help from consultants or anyone else. Um, maybe it's, it's just going to help them improve their practices and come up to yeah. speed. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's uh, you know, if uh, things have been kind of, although if you if you work in front end frameworks, of course, you'd say that things change every year. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it does feel like things are are back to that point where it's like the early nineties, you know, where the web's coming <laughs> out and just it's just all new or every year, which is absolutely <laughs> fabulous. Um, cool. Okay, uh, go read Jose's book if you're listening to this because it. Goes into all this, uh, all this stuff about microservice APIs or micro APIs, I should say. Um, uh, I feel, yeah, I, I'm feeling quite excited about what LLMs can do to help, especially internal developer relations. Uh, Jose, thank you so much. Um, lots to think about. No, um, no fundamental answers, just more questions. But uh, that's good. That's good. Thank yeah. you. No, uh, yeah, we'll see what comes out of it. Um, but yeah, interesting. Awesome. You can find the transcript of this podcast and any links mentioned on the podcast section of our website, voxgig.com slash podcast. Subscribe to the VoxGig Developer Relations Podcast on Apple, Spotify, or any podcasting platform. We publish each Tuesday and Thursday. You can also access the archive of our meetup talks on the VoxGig YouTube channel or the VoxGig website. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.